You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. I'm going to have the family in just a minute come back and sing one more song. Is that okay? How many would rather hear them sing than me preach anyhow? You haven't heard me preach it, have you? Um, I'm going to get to a message here in just a minute that I think you'll understand why we're doing it the way we're doing it in just a little bit. But I want to tell you a story. As you can tell, our family are storytellers. And uh, we like to tell them because they're real to us. And uh, what I'm going to tell you here happened, uh, by the way, John chapter 11 in your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn there. This happened about seven and a half years ago. And... Um, it's an incredible story. I wish I'd have been awake to see it all. But uh, unfortunately, I wasn't, or maybe fortunately. 2.45 in the morning on a Sunday, on an early Monday morning. Been at church all day Sunday. I taught my Sunday school class. I led the adult choir. I preached in teen church. I had choir practice. Went back, led the choir that night, and then went to bed that night after I'm sure eating something, as all good Baptists know how to do that. And... Uh, 2.45 in the morning, my wife wakes up. I'm snoring loudly. How many of you wives understand what that is? Thank you. You can put your hands down. We'll see all you men at the altar in just a little bit. She can't wake me up. She sh- shakes me. That doesn't work. She, when I let her tell the story, she gets a grin on her face right here when she says, I even slapped him and it didn't wake him up. So she calls 911. I'm diabetic, and I've had some severe things in the middle of the night. I'm, I may have one before I get through preaching tonight. If I do, just, just go on with the service. And uh, you can finish the message, preacher. But um, she said, and she talked to the dispatcher. We know his name's Wesley Hutchins. We met him later on. And uh, my husband's diabetic. I can't wake him up. Do I need to give him something to drink? Or, and he said, no, ma'am, you need to start CPR. A lot of miracles happened that night. The first one probably was the fact, as we found out later, that her 911 call went into a medically trained dispatcher. 60% of those in North Carolina go to the sheriff's department and they just send somebody. My heart wasn't beating though. And you've got five minutes to do something when that happens. And uh, she said, what do I do? He said, get him off the bed. You've seen her, you've seen me. You understand the dilemma that was. And uh, she said, I can't. Now we found out later, we had a reception for these first responders later on and found out later that the protocol is that when you can't get a man on a hard surface or a woman, whoever, you simply flip the page and it says, wait for the first responders to get there. Even though they got to my house in seven minutes, according to records, that would have been too late. He said, let's go ahead and start CPR on the bed. And for the next seven minutes she pounded and pressed and she said I stopped breathing once while she was doing that my tongue came out and uh, I can't imagine the fortitude that God would give someone to go through an event like that and to be able to sustain and and keep your senses about her she's had no sense since then but she did that that moment I'm gonna stand on this side (laughs) First responder's name was David Duggins. I taught David's wife in school years ago. And uh, 
The second miracle that happened that night was that our address wasn't in the, Jeep, wasn't in the uh, all, you know, alert system. But because I told his wife, they knew where I lived. And, and they got there and he came in and, and they immediately started CPR. And, and, um, and they got there at 3.01 after the call went in at 2.53 that morning. And uh, so um, those paddles, you've seen those on, on TV, you know, they do that six times to me and uh, tried everything. And finally, maybe some of you medical people understand, a shot containing two milligrams of magnesium, which we found out later from a doctor at Duke, is way down the list of what you try as you're flipping pages trying to do stuff. And uh, it, it got the heart started. Um, they took me to the hospital. David Duggins told me later, he said, I jumped on, I straddled you on the gurney, followed you out to the ambulance and got across you and did CPR all the way to the hospital. And uh, boy, you appreciate first responders like that, don't you? And um, he, um, by the way, I asked David later, I said, David, I said, I I'm nosy. When you got to the house and you assessed the scene, what were you thinking? What was going on? He looked at me with a puzzled look. He said, you really want to know? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. He said, you were dead. I said, oh, okay. He said, you had no pulse. You had no respiration. We could pronounce you right there. And I said, well, why didn't you? He never paused. He said, there's two reasons. Number one, you had color. Your face had color attributed to what Miss Jamie did with the, with the CPR. He said, and number two, oh, I thought they'd say, well, because we knew who you were and you had to live. And we were... No, none of that. He said, you were fighting to breathe and we weren't going to stop until you had no fight left. So they continued. I got to the hospital about 4.30. By the way, he told me later on, he said, you know, one of the strange things was when we got you to the hospital and we're transferring you from the ambulance to the bed there in the emergency room, he said, you did something that shocked all of us. He said, we're, we're, we're rolling you in and, and your right hand went up. Now I thought, well, I must have been thinking something spiritually. He said, I don't think that was it at all. He said, <laughs> he said it told us there's a brain that said to the hand, raise. And they were encouraged just by that simple movement. I got in the cath lab about 4.30 no blockages. Nothing. Now the problem. What's wrong? Why did his heart stop? Um, about 6 o'clock, got back to the room, they say, and Dr. Prelly, who was the head of cardiology at Forsyth Hospital in Winston-Salem, simply said, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why his heart stopped. Records show that my heart, without the assistance of CPR didn't beat for over 20 minutes by itself. And uh, how long was I without oxygen? Like I don't know. But apparently Miss Jamie kept me alive and the first responders did with the CPR. Uh, it was about... Um, in fact, he thought everything, everything's going to be alright because we can't find a blockage and that's normally just... We'll, we'll watch him a little while and let him go home. Well, about 11.30 that morning... Dr. Prelly comes into the waiting room where by that time, and this is a blessing to me, more than a hundred people had gathered in the waiting room having heard about what happened. Dr. Prelly comes in and, and um, Brother Bobby was to preach for, was it Dave McCoy that, that evening? And Brother Bobby was there waiting to drive to Atlanta 
and, uh, and uh, Dr. Prelly comes in and says, I need to see the pastor and the immediate family. And preacher, you know what that means. They take them out to the little room beside the waiting room. I've been there with families. And that's usually not good news. And he didn't give them a whole lot of good news then. He said, we, we can't get his blood pressure regulated. We've tried all kinds of treatment. They, they did what they call hypothermia treatment. They cooled the body down. What was it eight degrees, six degrees? And, and they put a balloon in my heart. Not like an angioplasty where they put in a vein. They put the balloon in my heart so my heart wouldn't do anything. It would rest. And, there was, and I've seen these later, you know, visiting people. They had a big machine beside the bed that was pumping my heart for me. My heart was working at about 20% when I got to the hospital. They, um, they induced a coma. Look, can I just say, comas are underrated. They're great. And uh, I love them. <laughs> you just go to sleep and don't worry about things, you know. But uh, they couldn't get things stable. Uh, I'm trying to get my days right here. Uh, he came back in, and on Tuesday, was it Miss Jamie? He came in and said, he says it's not looking good. We'll give him a 10% chance of surviving. We can't regulate things. And then he said this statement that, you know, Catherine was there, and Ms. Leash, y'all weren't there yet, I don't believe. You were there on Tuesday, you were. They were in uh, Pennsylvania. She was seven months pregnant. That was a shock on her. He said he's already died once. And if he wakes up, you know, we're not sure he will. Later on the next day or so, it was then, well, if he wakes up, we don't know what he'll be like. He may be a vegetable. The doctors told us later that people who have out of the hospital cardiac arrest, 80% never live to get to the hospital. Of the 20% that do live, 12% never live to get out. Of the 8% that live, 75% are in a vegetative state. And so there's 2% there that I was in, apparently. And, and God was faithful through it all and, and saw me through that. Uh, I could go on and on and tell you thing after thing. I was in a... Uh, that Friday night, we went on early Monday morning, that Friday night, I opened my eyes for the first time um, for about 10 minutes. I believe at least you were there. And uh, opened my eyes, went right back to sleep. They pulled the ventilator out. I think it was on Sunday. I still remember none of this. There's two weeks I cannot account for at all. They're, they're gone. And uh, it was the next week that I, I, I kind of roused up. And I remember Jamie coming in. And I looked up at her. This, was this on Sunday? On Sunday, I think they pulled the ventilator out. And uh, you know, you're talking, that thing comes out. And uh, I looked up at her. And by the, I had said nothing. I'd, they'd, they'd given me all kinds of neurological tests. And I didn't do well. They'd stick me on one side and I'd jerk on the other. You know, and they, they were nervous about all that stuff. And I'd, I'd lay in the fetal position. You know, and they were afraid that's the way it would be forever. And, and I looked up at her and I said, why am I here? And she was excited because I knew who she was. I knew where I was. And she was very wise. She said, well, you went to sleep the other night. And we couldn't wake you up. So we brought you out here to wake you up. I said, was that last night? No, that was six, seven days ago. Now that's a strange feeling, folks. I'm just going to tell you. I know what Rip Van Winkle feels like. <laughs> Have no idea what happened in those days. Somebody at Johnny Pope asked me. He said, Tim, did you see anything? 
And um, I said, I said, Johnny, I, I, I didn't see any light. I didn't feel any heat. There may be a purgatory. <laughs> he said, well, go ahead and write a book. Nobody knows. He said, I think that's what everybody else does. And uh, I didn't. But I'll tell you one after all. Anyway, 12 days in intensive care. They kept telling the family, now look, this is not going to be a sprint. This is a marathon. You better get ready for the long haul. A local church there in the area, not our church, paid for two hotel rooms for a week for, for my family to stay just across from the hospital. What a blessing that was for them. And uh, people began to come and cards began to come in and people began to visit. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't name all. I don't remember a lot of the people visiting. Uh, Jamie, you wrote down, how, how, what, what, what was it? Over 350 people came by and uh, was a blessing to my family. Uh, I tell everybody, they were having a party out in the waiting room. I'm back here dying. And, uh, but God was faithful. Uh, I came out and, and rather quickly. I, I didn't know how serious it was because I had no pain. The only pain I had was from cracked ribs from the CPR. That's all I had. I had no chest pains, had no warnings, had no signs, had no symptoms. It just quit. <laughs> and uh, by the way, where are your CPAPs? I'd never heard of sleep apnea at that time, but I have it. And, and I don't have a serious case of it. How many of you have sleep apnea and have had the sleep test? I only stopped, bre only stopped breathing 25 times an hour. That's not very much for most people that, that, that have the disease. I had a former student that went to the hospital. I finally convinced him to go have his test. He's a man, in his, at that time he was in his late 40s, I guess, probably. He stopped breathing 115 times an hour. They stopped the test and put a mask on him. So it, it wasn't, but I also have V-fib. And they say those two together is, is not, a good, not a good thing. It's a powder keg for a, for a cardiac arrest. So they said it's going to be a long time, and I was out of there in 16 days. I missed four Sundays in the pulpit, and, uh, which was too fast. I came back too quick. But while I was there, y'all come on up if you can. Can you bring her with you? Bring her with you. This is just us. There comes Joanna. She's going to hand her over to Pastor. He'll, he'll hold her while we... He's used to holding girls. And uh, <laughs> while I was there, uh, David wrote a song. You know, songwriters, at least said it a while ago. It looks every, every tragedy produces a song. So Lord, quit producing songs, you know. And uh, David said that every, or the common denominator in all trials is waiting. You have to wait. You don't know. Why did that happen? Well, I'll tell you some ideas in a minute, perhaps, why I think it may have happened. But, but you don't know why things happen. Why did Lisa David go through that? to get a million dollar settlement from, no. <laughs> but but uh, we don't know why. But here's a song David wrote while I was in the hospital and we'll sing it and then I'll preach a little bit called I Will Wait. Oh, 
chapter 11, let me start reading verse number 1, if I could. Simple verses, familiar verses. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, I love this phrase, he whom thou lovest is sick. Couldn't we all say that? That's the way the Lord feels about us, isn't it? Then Jesus, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Father, for just a very few minutes, I pray you'd open my heart, open the hearts of those that are here. Empty me of self, fill me with the Holy Spirit, forgive me of any sin in my life that would hinder that, and drive this, these thoughts home to these people tonight into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in the hospital recovering. I don't know exactly when it was, but my youth pastor, Steve Robertson, came to see me. He came many times. And he's leaving the, the room one day, and I'm, I'm laying there. By this time, I'm coherent and cognizant. And, and he's, he says, hey, Tim, sometime when you don't have anything else to do, why don't you read John 11? I said, okay. And later on that day, I did. And what we have tonight is the result of my reading John 11 from a hospital bed in Winston-Salem. There's no question about the fact that Jesus loved this family. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. And, and boy, they were such a distinctly different family. Uh, Martha was cumbered about with much uh, work. And Mary loved to be found at the feet of Jesus. You never read one word in the Scripture that Lazarus said. When you live with two women, you don't have a chance to say a whole lot. And um, that's the way it was. After hearing the news of Lazarus' sickness, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he decided to go see Lazarus and the sisters. He told his disciples, you can read on down further. He said, Lazarus is sleeping. They said, Lord, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. Let's let him sleep. And Jesus had to get specific. He said, no, understand, Lazarus is dead. Jesus waited on purpose for Lazarus to die so he could do something miraculous. So they go. He went to Bethany. He met the girls. He said, show me where you've laid him. And of course, Martha was so embarrassed. Lord, he's been dead four days. By now he stinks. You know, he said, roll the stone away. Then he spoke those words, Lazarus, come forth. And that old body began to move and he came out bound with all the grave clothes and Jesus said, loose him and let him go and you know the rest of the story. What celebration they had. Draw your attention back to verse number 4 for a moment. And I want you to look at this verse. This will be our message tonight. When Jesus heard that he was sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. I read that that day in the hospital room and I thought, you know, and I've known this, everything happens for a purpose. I may not know the purpose right now, but if I give it time, the Lord will show me a little bit about why things happen as they do. I want to show you four things and I'll be swift. I can see that clock back there and I know it's right now it's 9.02 and I will be out of here. Every one of y'all turn around and look at that clock. You know? Four things. If I want to use the events of what happened to me, I want those events to bring glory to God. How can I do that? Number one, by losing pride. 
by losing pride. By the way, if you want to lose pride, go to the hospital. <laughs> you, you lose all sense of pride in the hospital. You know, people see things that you, you don't ever want them to see again, but it just happens. And um, by the way, whatever happens in our life is no credit to us. It's all because of God. We're saved because of God. We're sustained. We're kept. We're used. We're, we're, we're useful because of what He does. I read a story. I heard a story. I read. I heard a story years ago. How many are old enough of my generation to remember the TV character Kojak? Telly Savalas. Remember that? Telly Savalas was from the country of Greece. And he had been in, he had been in America. And he was tired after doing a lot of film work and he was flying back to Greece. Of course, he was in first class and, and he went and got his seat and tried to be obscure and not let anybody know who he was. He didn't want any attention. He was tired. He didn't want to talk. If you've ever been on an airplane, sometimes you sit beside somebody that always wants to talk about everything and you don't care. You try to be nice, but it's just, you know, you irritate me, you know. And uh, you act like you're asleep and, and whatever, you're reading or something. Pull the Bible out. That'll shut them up usually. But... but uh, Telesavalis didn't want to be bothered. Handsome young man sat, sat on the other side, on the aisle seat, just about two rows back, and he recognized Telesavalis. He also was from Greece, as Savalis was, and he was proud of Savalis and his career in, in the movie industry. And so he, he, before the plane took off, he, he reached up, he tapped Savalis on the shoulder. He said, sir, can I ask you a couple of questions? He said, leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered. He was very rude to the man. I don't want to be bothered. Don't tell me. I don't want to talk to you. I, I just want to sit here and, and rest and maybe take a nap and, and go home. And he said, all right. He went back to his seat. Middle of the flight, he, he decides, I'm going to ask him one more time. He walks back up. Maybe he's, he's gotten over that. He taps him on the shoulder. And before he can get a word out, Savala says, leave me alone. Yes, sir. He walks back, gets in his seat plane lands in Greece. It was one of those flights where you walk out of the plane, down the steps, across the tarmac to the, to the tower. And, and uh, when, when they land there, Savalas looks out the window and he sees hundreds of people gathered. He thought, oh no, I didn't want anybody to be here. I don't want to see anybody. My hair's not even fixed. <laughs> he didn't have any hair for you younger ones. And he said, I don't want to talk to anybody. And uh, one more time, before the plane had got to the place where they were going to uh, get off the plane, the young man walked up one more time and said, Sir, I've been patient, but I would really like to ask you a couple of questions. And for the third time, Savalas was rude and blew him off and said, Leave me alone. I don't want to talk. He, yes, sir. I'll honor that. He went back and sat down. Savalas was pretty proud, wasn't he? They start to deboard the plane. Savalas, so plane stops, doors open. He, he reaches, he stands up to get his stuff and suddenly he is pushed down by two strong hands on his shoulder. He was this. And that young, handsome man stands up, walks to the front of the plane and those big men say to Savalas, nobody exits the plane before His Majesty does. President, king of Greece, wanted to talk to Savalas, and Savalas was too proud to talk to him. I wonder how many people we brush off in a day's time because we think we're more important than they are. 
How many people do we, do we look the other way when we see a chance to help them or we see an opportunity that we could be to be a blessing to somebody? We just, well, I don't have time. I don't have the finances. I don't have the opportunity. I don't want to do this. And, and, and it's all because of our rotten pride. We think we're more than what we are. If I want to bring glory to God, if I can take anything that God's done in my life and use it for His glory, I've got to start by losing my pride. Number two, I've got to live with passion. Live with passion. There are no bad days now. Some days I may not feel well, and some days I don't like what happens, but let's look at the big picture. There are no bad days. Somebody gave my wife and I, after all this ordeal, a little thing you mount on the wall, we put on the back inside of our bedroom door. Simply says, every day is a gift. I try to live that way. I don't know all the time. I'm not good at it. I'm like everybody else. I have ups and downs, but... I have to stop and think. Every day that I'm alive is icing on the cake. I shouldn't be here. Don't say amen too loud right there. I shouldn't be here. I've got to live with passion. I coached basketball for 31 years. You can tell because I look like a basketball now. And uh, I, I coach all those years. And, and I love passionate players. I love the kind of guy that will just dive on the floor and just get dirty and scratch himself, excuse me, and he doesn't care. And uh, I'd just soon have a passionate player than I had a talented player. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe I'd rather have a talented, passionate player. That'd be nice to have. But uh, the truth is, everything in our life, we need to go at it like our life depends on it. Uh, there's a verse in, in, in the Bible in Colossians 3.23 that whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Do it with all your heart. I got to think about that verse and I wrote down some things. First of all, I need to be heartily and, and do with a passion everything that I must do, my responsibility. It's my job to do it. I need to live with a passion everything that I choose to do, my downtime. Look, if I'm playing a video game, don't look at me like that. You know you like them. I want to win. I want to win so bad that I'll reset and start over if I'm behind. Do it with a passion. And uh, things I choose to do. Things that I'm gifted to do. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy music. And I, I've sang most of my adult life. And uh, I, I want to get serious about it. Oh, there's cutting up times and play. But you know, when it comes time to, to rehearsal or to practice, or to, I, I want to sing with passion. I want to preach with passion. It's important. Everything that I'm commanded to do. A lot of things in, in the Bible we're commanded to do. All of us, the will of God's the same for all of us. Be in church, read your Bible, pray, tithe, all those things. I want to do it with passion. That I want to do with a passion things that I'm called to do, which is preaching. I, I, want, I want to get with it. You know, and, and sing. I, I don't want somebody to get up. I, we talked about this last night. I don't, I, this won't hurt anybody's feelings, I don't think. I don't, it will. Do what say? People get up and say, well, y'all pray for me. We hadn't practiced. I want to say, well, go practice and come back. I want to do it well. I don't want to just go at it half-hearted. And that's what the verse says. Do it heartily with all your heart as to the Lord. One thing I like about your preacher, he preaches with passion, doesn't he? He acts like he wants you to listen to him. And that passion demands your attention. And um, if I'm going to live for the glory of God, and allow circumstances to be used for His glory, I've got to lose pride. I've got to live with passion. Number three, 
I've got to love people. Amen. Love people. Brother Colbert, I had a pastor that exemplified that. And uh, Miss Joanna, your, your dad worked for him. You know, your dad was my Sunday school teacher when I was a teenager. This is all your fault. And uh, it's all his fault. And uh, the truth is, Brother Bobby, and I think you know who I'm talking about, loved people. He lived for people. He was compassionate about people. Look over that. Preachers are a dime a dozen. Anybody can get an outline and get in front of people and speak. Businessmen can do that. But a pastor, a man of God that loves people, and you know it. You can't fake that, can you? You can't fake love of people. I've got to love people. Jesus gave us two great commandments. He was asked one day, what are the greatest commandments? What's the greatest commandment? He said, number one, love God. That takes care of the rest of it, doesn't it? But then he added, he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have a t-shirt over where we're staying and, and uh, it was our camp theme for last summer. And uh, all it says, it's simple. It says, love God, love others. That's all we need in this world. A love for God and a love for people. And if I'm going to let my sickness, illness, whatever it was, be used for the glory of God, if you're going to let circumstances that come in your life be used for His glory, you've got to learn to love everybody. Love people. Not for what they can do for you, but because they are who they are. Created by God and they have a purpose in life. Let me get to the last one. I told you it's going to be quick. Number four. And I'll review if I'm going to live my life for the glory of God in spite of what's happening, in view of what's happened. Lose pride, live with passion, love people. And then number four, I've got to learn my purpose. I don't know how many times alone I've asked myself and I've asked the Lord, why'd you let me live? I'm thankful He did. I got to see five grandchildren born. What a joy that is. While I was in the hospital, I know of a man in our church, two, two people in our church died while I was there for those two weeks in the room next to me. One of them I'd known all my life. A little bit older than me. He's a Vietnam veteran. He died as a result of Agent Orange. He contracted, contracted Vietnam. A sister church of ours in the area, Clint Fredericks, you know Brother Clint, Clint worked at that church and he had two people from his church die on the floor that I was on while I was in the hospital. Why did God let me live? Am I something special? I'm no more special than they are. Why? You know what? I don't have an answer for that completely. But I believe God has a purpose for me being alive. I believe God has a plan. I know He does. has a plan for my life just like He has a plan for your life. And you can find that plan and get involved in it. The greatest pursuit in life is the will of God. The greatest accomplishment in life is the will of God. Get after it. Find out what God wants you to do. Young people, turn yourself to God and let Him show you. He will if you'll ask Him. And follow it. Most fulfilling life in the world is doing what God calls you to do. I think we're doing that tonight. And it's exciting. I hope you can sense that. We enjoy 
most of the time being together. And uh, it's just a wonderful life. This sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. I think I could say the same. What happened to me was not unto death, but it was, I hope, I trust, I pray for the glory of God. You know, if it's for, going to be for the glory of God, it's up to me. I can make it that or I can be selfish and prideful and take my own life and do what I want to with it. But I want to live it for Him. How about you? You realize that you've got one life. As the old saying says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let's get involved. Let's get busy about living life for the glory of God. By the way, best definition I've heard of living for the glory of God is living my life in such a way that my life speaks volumes and says thank you to God for what you've done for me. I'm trying to live every day thanking God for what He's done, for the fact that I'm alive. So let's do that. If you're not saved, if you don't know Christ, you need to come accept Him tonight. Get that settled, get it out of the way, and get on with a wonderful life. If you're saved, but you're living life for yourself, let's get self out of the way. Lose the pride. Let's, uh, let's pick it up a little bit. Notch it up with some passion. Let's be early to things. Be, be on time. Be, be exuberated about and excited about the services and about the choir singing and about, about everything that goes on, about the soul winning outreach. And when the buses get back, as I hope they do, get excited about that. And, and let's fill them up and get this place full again. Let's love people. We live in a hurting world, don't we? Everybody's hurting. Let's, let's feel their needs and then let's learn why we're here that God uses. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.